Today, the sermon title is Jesus Cleanses. Well, let's find out more how the Lord is our salvation today. We'll be at Mark chapter 1, 40 to 45. And a little bit of context as we uh, read Mark 1, 40 to 45 together. Jesus performs miracles. Huge crowds are coming after him. Jesus retreats to the secluded place to pray, to commune with the Father. And then Jesus goes out to preach to all the cities in, in Galilee. All the cities in Galilee. And today we have a shocking incident where a leper comes to Jesus in the city and begs to be healed. If you have your Bibles, Mark 1, 40 to 45, we'll read through, and uh, I'll be reading out of the NASB version. Mark 1, 40 to 45, and, and the leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Move with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, offer yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. Verse 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around, to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray your spirit will illuminate our minds to understand what you're saying about your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray by your power, by the power of your spirit, I'll be able to preach your word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story where Jesus cleanses a leper And this is in these six short verses, we're going to see a beautiful side of our Lord, how he came to save mankind. So the first emphasis out of verse 40 is the crisis, the crisis. Verse 40 says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Who is this man? Who is this man? Luke 5 says that he was covered with leprosy. Likely, this is something what we would call Hansen's disease today. Hansen's disease. The CDC says that in the United States, Hansen's disease is rare. But around the world, roughly as many as 2 million people are permanently disabled as a result of Hansen's disease. So this disease is still around. And what did leprosy mean for someone in the first century in Palestine? Leprosy meant physical death. I mean, it was a death sentence. And let me explain. Leprosy is caused by a bacteria. Leprosy attacks the nervous system, which robs you of your warning system, so you can't feel anything anymore. If you injure yourself, you get an infection, you don't know. You just can't feel it. If you touch something hot, you just don't know. And because of that, your extremities are affected. Your fingers, your toes begin to die off. Even your nose, your ears, those things are starting to die off and you become deformed. Skin discoloration happens, you begin to flake. It's a horrible death. 
And as these are walking dead, basically. And people are mutilated from head to toe and walking around aimlessly, ready to die. And it was contagious. Therefore, a leper meant, if you had leprosy, it meant that you had social death as well. You're treated as a pariah, basically an outcast of society. This is a serious thing. Not only did a leper lose his health, he lost everything. He was no longer allowed to be in the community. He no longer lived in the cities in Galilee, northern Israel. A leper could no longer spend time with his or her family and friends. A leper was kicked out of the synagogue system. He lost his way of life. He was relegated to begging for, for food and money because he lost his way to support himself. Life was over as you knew it. The leper lost everything. This is a hopeless situation. Josephus comments, he's a famous Jewish historian of the day, and he, com- he comments by saying, the lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. These were dead men walking. If you saw a leper, you went the other way. You did not invite the leper into your home. You didn't invite a leper to be part of your community. A leper was basically dead to you. This is, serious. this is a serious situation. This is a crisis indeed. And leprosy really is a picture of the work of sin. And it begins as a spot and it eventually takes over your whole life if you're infected with this bacteria. I did a little study in Leviticus 13 and 14. If you want to read a little bit more, these are two lengthy chapters in the Old Testament. Leviticus 13 and 14, over 100 verses between the two chapters. And it doesn't talk about healing a leper. It's interesting. The word that's used 80 times in these two, verse, two chapters is the word for clean or unclean. So the issue was not healing. It's about being clean or unclean. And if you notice, in, even in our passage today at Mark, in these six verses, four times the word clean or cleansing is used. So the issue is about cleansing. And how does Jesus go about this? And this man is desperate. As I described, his life was over, but somehow he gets word that Jesus Christ is doing miracles. He's healing people. And what does he do? He's so desperate that in Luke 5, it designates that this leper comes to see Jesus in the city. In the city. And he starts to beg. He gets on his knees and starts begging Jesus, please, please. Make me clean if you're willing. And what did it take for Jesus to, uh, for the leper to gain this audience with Jesus? Basically, the leper went through all the stop signs. He basically broke all the rules, broke all the expectations. He broke all the expectations of the people. He just says, I don't care. I need to see you, Jesus. He was desperate. Do you blame the man? He heals, he heals that someone could hear, uh, heal mir- miracles like this. He went, and he humbly asked Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me. If you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper had right theology. He knew Jesus had the authority to heal, but it was up to his will if he wanted to do this. You have the authority to make me clean. You have the authority, Jesus, to give me my life back. I could start to live again. 
So that's the crisis to set up the story here. The crisis is that there's an unclean leper who's desperate and he comes to the only one who can make him clean. There's no other options. That's the crisis. So what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to do? Is he going to cast him away like everybody else? Is he going to remind him he's not supposed to come into the city? No. Now let's look into the compassion, into the compassion. Verse 41 and 42. This is a precious two verses as we get to see into the heart of our Lord. We want to know Jesus Christ. This is why we sit under preaching. This is why we study the Bible. It's because we want to know our Lord more. Because in eternity, we're going to be studying him as we stare into his eyes forever. This, he is the object of our worship. He is the reason why we're here today. And you see there's emotion in our Lord's heart. Emotion is a good thing. It's good to be emotionate when we sing. It's, it's, it's good to be sad when sad things happen. It's good to rejoice when exciting and happy things happen. Emotion is good. So what's happening inside the heart of our Lord is, is going to be revealed right here. Verse 41 says, move with compassion. Compassion. That portion of scripture jumped out at me. But as I studied this more, this word, there's a textual issue. I just want to just briefly cover here with our church. What do, I, what do I mean by that? How we got the New Testament is this, that we have thousands, hundreds of manuscripts that go back to the first century, copies and copies of the Greek manuscript. Okay? And some of the manuscripts actually have a different word than compassion. If you have an NIV Bible, it says that Jesus was indignant if you, if you read out of the NIV Bible. So the NIV Bible decided to use the word indignant, angry. And this word is in there. In the original language, some of the manuscripts, it says, move with anger. Okay. All right. And then most manuscripts have move with pity or compassion. That's the NASB, the the King James Version, the ESV, the Legacy Standard Bible uses compassion or pity. And so some commentators and theologians are kind of like, uh, kind of divided on this issue. Which word is it? And as I studied more and more, I think the words kind of actually complement one another. Let me explain. If we believe that the original manuscript said anger or indignant, this is what was happening, I believe, in the Lord's heart. The Lord did get angry at times, did he not? Righteous anger. And the two specific instances when he got angry is when there was hypocrisy, when the religious rulers were being hypocrites and they're keeping people away from God. Example, case in point, is when they use the temple system for their own gain. Normal people couldn't go there and just worship God. They have to have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of uh, animals, and, and they have to buy the animals. There. They, it, it was a racket. The Lord knew this, and he overthrew the tables. The other time, the Lord got angry, righteously, when the, his own disciples, that just shows you the disciples were on the process here, rebuked the children from coming to the Lord. Right? You remember that? And this is the Lord was indignant and says, permit the children to come to me. 
Don't you all get it? You're missing the point. They are the ones that are supposed to come to me. Do not ever do that again, disciples. He was angry in those instances, righteously angry. What was he angry about? I believe he was angry about the effects of sin on this man. I mean, Jesus Christ existed from eternity past. Jesus Christ is the one that knew him before he, the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ is the one that spoke everything into existence. Jesus Christ is the one that knew him as he's being formed in his mother's womb. And he's, Jesus must have been thinking, I never intended it to be like this, for you to live this way, for you to suffer so much, for you to be kicked out of the cities. I never meant it for you to be this way. Think about it. What came to my mind, we're blessed with four children. Many of us have children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews. Imagine if someone you've been nurturing since birth, feeding them, clothing them, caring for them, making sure they're safe and educated, making sure that you are covering them with clothes and shelter. And then someday when your child grows up to become a man or woman, gets captured by the world, ends up on skid row, you run into him or her, leading a sinful life where drugs have ravaged their body, the people have ravaged them, their body parts are just nothing that you can remember as a, as a child or as a baby having their soft skin against you. Everything's changed. Begging for food, finding food wherever they could find. And magnify that by a million. And the Lord sees this man and saying, I've never meant this to be this way. And this is, it breaks the Lord's heart to see so much suffering. It was never meant to be this way. If you're in physical pain, Suffering through illness was never meant to be this way. You have relational damage, broken marriage, been rejected by others, those you've been counting on, broken relationship with children, your own children, your own parents. You've been cheated, you've experienced racism. It was never meant to be this way. Seeing the moral decay of our culture, it was never meant to be this way. The Lord cares. The Lord cares, and, and, and he's not happy about this. Because he's, he cares about those who are suffering. And moved with this, I believe he, this moved him to be Compassionate. How can I give some relief to this man? And in the original language, this move compassion means that you, 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 it was gut-wrenching. You, he had a visceral reaction. That's kind of the feeling. Have you felt that way before? If so, you see someone hurting so badly that your gut is turning inside you that I have to do something. This is the Lord. And compassion moved Jesus Christ to do the unthinkable right now. What does Jesus do? Verse 41, he says, move with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. 
That was a no-no. That was the most shocking thing that Jesus could have done. From the leper's vantage point, the leper must have been thinking, does, he, does this man, Jesus, realize what he's doing by touching me? And his word touches him like he put his pinky on him. He firmly touched him. He gets a hold of him. This is the Lord. This leper must have known Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, which says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache. And I mean, he's supposed to wear a mask even back then. He's, he's supposed to cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean, beware, beware. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He's unclean. There's that word again. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Unclean, unclean, unclean is what this man should have said. This is what he's been saying for years now. And all of a sudden, Jesus reaches out and touches him. I mean, this is such a serious thing that Jesus did. In the Talmud, which is basically a Jewish commentary, it said that they need to maintain six feet apart from leopards. Like they had social distancing back then too. And if on a windy day, you have to stay 150 feet apart. Interesting, isn't it? And if you got into contact with a leper, you became unclean. Jesus Christ was willing to become unclean by touching the leper. And think about what must have been going on in the leper's heart. For years now, he's been called a leper. For years, he's been screaming, unclean, unclean. For years, he's been wearing a mask. For years, he's been living out in the wilderness. For years, he's never been touched. For years, no one's engaged him. Everyone, all he knows is people backing off and everyone parting like the Red Sea when he would come by. That's all he's known for years. That's got to do something to your mind and your heart. Rejection is what he's known ever since he's been diagnosed with leprosy. That's all he's known, rejection. And as what must have been going through his mind as Jesus starts to reach to him and grab a hold of his arm, his neck, his hand, whatever, what sensation must have that felt like in his heart? Physically, he couldn't feel anything because his nerves are dead if he wasn't healed at that point. But internally, what was going through his mind? He must have just been absolutely overwhelmed, floored by the love of Christ. This is Jesus. Move with compassion. Jesus touched him. Jesus was not concerned about becoming unclean. Jesus was not concerned about what other people thought. Jesus was not worried about these things. Jesus takes the extra step and makes a significant gesture to show his love. There's something to be said when you get closer to somebody. There's something to be said when you're able to touch them. It shows love. That's why we love to touch our kids. That's why we love to touch our spouses. It communicates love. That's why we hug each other. Even a fist bump, you know? I mean, that shows some love to men, right? I mean, that's what we do. He publicly affirms the leper. And in essence, just identifying with a sinner. Just like what he did on the, when he got baptized by John the Baptist. He was identifying with sinners, and Jesus was willing to be unclean because of it. And so this is classic Jesus. This is how Jesus operated. When he healed Peter's mother-in-law, he took her by the hand and healed her. When he raised Jairus' daughter who was dead, he takes her by the hand and raises her up. 
This is what Jesus does. He touches his people. Chapter 7 and 8, there's a deaf man and a blind man that he heals. He touches them. Puts his hand and their finger in his mouth and all, ears, all kinds of stuff. He touches his people. Even with the children, when he said, let them come to me, chapters 9 and 10, he takes them, takes a hold of them. This is how the Lord shows his love. Jesus loved this man. Jesus loved this man. And, and love does not retreat. Love does not reach your love, move towards. We know this. This is what love does. I'm reminded of a story as we, sister, as sister Itsuko has passed on, our oldest saint, 104-year-old saint, we celebrated her life a few weeks ago, and she lived in the era during World War II when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, and there was incredible persecution against Japanese-Americans who lived on the coast. They were brought into internment camps. She was brought to Arizona and lost everything in some ways. In some ways, the Japanese-Americans were treated as pariah of the society, you know, spies and and betrayers and whatnot. But there were some faithful Christians that would come by the camp. Dr. Mayberry, I hear, as we talked about her life and learned more about her life, would come with some other people from American Baptists and bring Bibles and bring Bible study material and come to the camp and personally deliver these things. And you bet they had some opposition. People were criticizing, what are you doing going to visit those guys? Love moves forward. Love moves towards Dr. Mayberry knew what was the deal, but this is what Christians do. Christians move towards those, even if it would cost him, and you know he received criticism for that. Jesus says this, I am willing, be cleansed, and he was cleansed. Of course I'm willing. I mean, this is immediate regeneration. Immediate. This isn't like a treatment plan weeks and months later he got better. It's immediately he got his skin back. No more flakiness. No more sores. He's got his fingers back all of a sudden. His toes are back. If he lost his nose, he got a new nose, new ears. It's all back. His skin was, perhaps was like a baby again all of a sudden. I mean, this is a creative miracle. Jesus Christ who created him knows how to get him back to that condition. He did in an instant. His nerves are finally firing. He could touch things again and feel things. He was back. The leper was cleansed. And really, the, what was happening in the heart was this intense anger towards sin, which moved Jesus to reach out and touch him. And think about Touch. That was an extra step. Jesus certainly could have spoke him to cleansing, right? You're cleansed. You're healed. He could have done that. But he didn't. He reaches out and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Boom. That's our Lord. I hope you're getting a better picture of our Lord. This is what we need to understand. What is going on in the heart of the Lord? Now, what was the cost to Jesus? Let's, Let's look at the cost. Verse 43 through 45, we'll finish up with this point here. Verse 43, let me read this for us. 
And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. Whoa, 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 whoa. From all that compassion, the Lord is able to change gears now on, the, on this leper or this cleansed man and says he sternly warned him. This is not like a, oh, could you keep this between us? Could you keep this a secret? No, no, you better not say anything. <laughs> I'm inconveniencing myself by healing you right now. Because I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a big mob that's going to f- come after me. And I'm not going to be able to go into the cities and the synagogues and preach what I came to do. Keep this between us. This is a serious warning. This is, the Lord commands him. Say nothing to nobody. I came here to preach. I came here to preach the gospel. And then go, verse 44, uh, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So the Lord evidently, obviously, understands what was written in the Old Testament. And he basically tells him at Leviticus 14, Go show yourself to the priest, because the priests are the one that are going to declare you clean or unclean for you, for you to be back into the, into the cities, into the synagogue system. And basically, the man needed to offer some offerings Leviticus 14 says that you need to offer some birds and a lamb. Basically, blood needed to be shed to atone for the unclean leper to be clean. There needed to be a price, right? And so the Lord was telling him, go to see the, uh, the priest, show him how you're healed, but also bring your offering with you, okay? Bring your offering with you so you could get back into society. What does he do? Verse 45, it starts off with a but. But, did he obey? But, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. To such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. He didn't obey. He didn't obey. In some ways, can you blame him? I mean, he's all of a sudden showing up in the cities and, whoa, you're back. What happened? Uh, right? how, how, are you, how are you not supposed to say anything? But the Lord clearly said, do not say anything. And he directly disobeyed. Now, as you, as you see verse 45 here, do you see the cost here? This is the topic here, the cost here. Do you see the cost, what happened here? Did you catch that? Did you see the cost, what happened here? I'm going to read verse, the second half of verse 45 again, all right? To such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, there was a cost. There was a cost. I find it very interesting. It's like they're trading places. At one point, before Jesus cleansed him with his touch, the leper could, could not be in the city. He was forced to live in seclusion, lived apart from everybody else. And Jesus could freely go in and out of the cities without being bothered to the point where he couldn't. After he, the Lord touched the leper and healed and cleansed him, the leper could go into the city now. He received back his life, his community, his friends. He could live his normal life now. He was restored. Jesus, on the other hand, could no longer move freely. This disrupted his plans. 
He was forced to live in seclusion, thrust into isolation. And really, this is the mark of his death march. Jesus was beginning to die to his freedoms, his own desires, his own will on some things. He began to die. Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Love is expensive. It will cost you. We understand this. And as we conclude this message and prepare our hearts for a communion, the Lord's Supper, I just want to make a point of application here. One clear point here. Leprosy is a physical disease. We understand this. However, it points to a spiritual issue. Clearly, cleansing and, and, and being clean or unclean, this is talking about a spiritual issue here. And the issue is sin, the ultimate issue. This is what the Lord is talking to us about. And the devastation of Hansen's disease cannot be reversed. If your nerves die, you cannot gain your nerves. If you lose a finger or nose, you cannot grow these things back. You cannot reverse these things. In later stages, you could do nothing about it, even today. And one will eventually die with this disease. In similar fashion, church, we cannot do anything about our leprous souls infected with sin. Every single one of us have leprous souls. I mean, we, perhaps we could master some things to kind of give ourselves some relief. I mean, maybe we could learn some wisdom principles of living so we could li- live as wisely as possible. Perhaps you could learn morality to mask your uncleanness. You know, you look like a good person, a nice person. You could do that. People are pretty good about that. Maybe you could set up rules or safeguards to mitigate uh, consequences that you, you may suffer from living in a sinful world. Some of us, believe it or not, may be self-medicating to numb the pain. This happens all the time. Wouldn't doubt if it's happening here. It happens all the time. Self-medication. But it only offers temporary relief. I like what Kent Hughes writes about this situation in comments on sin. Sin controls people with two exactly opposite lies. So two lies. Lie number one. The first is that they are not sinners, that nothing is wrong with them. That's lie number one. You may be sitting here as a non-Christian thinking, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad compared to my neighbor. You may be thinking that. You know what? I pay all my taxes. I don't really cheat people. I don't lie all the time. I watch mostly good things and listen to mostly good things. You know, you might be sitting there thinking that to yourself right now. Ken Hughes goes on to say, the second is this, is that when you, do, when you do see that they are sinners, they think they are so bad that they're beyond help. Either one, I'm not a sinner, or I'm so far gone that I cannot be helped, even by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, let's address the crisis of this world today, right now. Let's address it. Let's learn what we learned from the leper and address and apply it to us today. We're all lepers Every single one of us. The Bible says this, we've all been infected with a sin virus. Isaiah 35, 6, 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're all sinners. Romans three twenty three. what does that say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means every single one of us. We're born into sin. 
we're bathed into sin. The moment we're conceived, we're sinners. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? That means you die eternally in eternal hell. Every single sinner will live forever in hell. Sent to hell by Jesus Christ himself. So that clears up Ken Hughes' first problem. We're all sinners. What about Ken Hughes' other point? Do you feel like you're untouchable? Do you feel like this leper? Do you feel like you're so far gone? Do you feel like what you've done is so bad that there's no way God will accept me? There's no way anyone in this church will accept me. You have that secret where only you know. There's no way you're going to come out of the closet on this one. There's no way you're going to let this out. There's no way you would share this with any other human being alive. Now, do, you, do you even believe that Jesus can cover your sins? Do you think, there's no way even God will accept me? Not even Jesus will touch me. This might be, you might be thinking this. Well, it's time to come out of your quarantine and come talk to the Lord. The Lord is willing. The good news is that the Lord is willing to touch you. He's willing to touch you, to cleanse you of your sin. Because let's see the compassion of the Lord. He touched this man. He touched this man. And this is exactly why he came. He incarnated God himself, sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says. The creator became a man, fully God and fully man. The God-man, that's Jesus Christ himself. And he touched mankind. This is why he came. He's a personal God to come touch us, to live amongst us. Why did he come? To trade places with sinners like you and me. This is exactly why he came. And what is the cost? You see the crisis, we're all sinners. You see the compassion, Jesus Christ incarnated to live amongst us, motivated by the love of the Father. And what is the cost? Well, he went to the cross. He went to the cross. We cannot get tired of hearing this message. Even if you've been a Christian for decades, you cannot get tired of hearing this message. You cannot say, I heard this before. You have to keep meditating on this. What does this mean? How much does this cost the Lord? I bet you you're going to find out something more after I read these few verses here. You'll learn a little bit more. You'll learn a little bit more how costly it was. Just like Leviticus 14 says that there needs to be blood shed to atone for the leper to make him clean. The blood of the Son of God needed to be spilled to make you and me clean before the Father. This is the issue. Theologians call this the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Trading places with sinners. Substitute it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God the Father, made him Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, Jesus is perfect, to be sin, he treated him as a sinner on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. At the cross, Jesus Christ was treated like a sinner. And who treated him like a sinner? Let's turn to Isaiah 53. This is our scripture reading from today. Brother Harvey read it. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. If you're able to, please follow along with me. You need to see it for yourself. As you hear, I'd like you to see it as well. 
Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The whole chapter is this pregnant with atonement theology. Isaiah 53, verse 5. At the cross. At the cross. What happened at the cross? Think the cross right now. Think the cross with me. Get your mind at the cross, verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities at the cross. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Verse 6, I read this earlier. All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us are sinners. We're all lepers. Each of us has turned to his own way. We do whatever we want. That's the essence of sin. We act as our own gods. You disregard what the Bible has to say. You disregard what it means to be a Christian. I want to do whatever I think. God understands. That's a sin. All of us, have, like sheep, have gone astray. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The Father has caused the iniquity, our sinfulness, our guilt, to fall upon him. Verse 7, he, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Jesus kept his mouth shut. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus Christ traded places with sinners like you and me. And who was in charge of this? Who was responsible for all of this? Who did this please? Who did this please that the sinless one, the righteous one, would hang on the cross and take on punishment for you and me? Let's look at verse 10. Isaiah 53, 10. At the cross, at the cross, but the Lord, the Father, God himself, was pleased to crush him, pleased to crush him, the Son. The Father was pleased to crush the Son for you and me. Putting him to grief, putting Christ to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, anguish of the Lord's, the Son's soul, he, the Father, will see it and be what? Satisfied. Satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, Jesus himself, my servant, the father's servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Do you understand what took place on the cross? The father pours out his holy wrath on his holy, sinless son. The wrath that you and I deserve Christians, we've escaped that wrath because of Jesus Christ. Right now, if you're not a Christian, you have the wrath of God pointing at you right now. He's not satisfied forgiving you right now because you never have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. God crushed his own son. Does that shock you? 
Does that alarm you? That's what it says. The Bible says the Lord was pleased to crush his son, satisfied his righteous demands so that you and I can be forgiven. Jesus was willingly sacrificed. He was separated from the Father for that moment in time. He was not Father to him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abba, Father, was not that at that moment. And the Lord never knew that moment in eternity. In all of eternity, he never understood what that was like to be separated from the Father. He willingly interrupted that perfect eternal fellowship that he had with the Father so that we can enjoy eternal perfect fellowship with the Father. How costly was it? Immense. We need to understand this. We need to think about this. We need to meditate on this. The love of God, the compassion of God who came to earth to die for us, it was expensive. The good news is this. After he died, he rose to life on the third day. Amen. Amen. So that we can have eternal life. If you're that person around thinking, there's no way God will forgive me. Well, think again. Mark 2.17 says this. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. You're exactly the right person. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus Christ is the doctor of the soul. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, it is a trustworthy statement. What statement? Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came for the spiritually sick. Isaiah 1.18, look at this. You'll love this. Talk about cleansing. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Jesus cleanses sinners like you and me. We're all spiritual lepers, me included. So don't say to yourself, I'll come to Christ when I'm good. Because you're never going to be good enough. The Bible says that our good works, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64. There's nothing that you could do to come to Jesus as a good person. Come to him like the desperate leper. Come to him with your leprous fingers and eyes and nose. Come to him with everything falling apart in your life like the leper. Come to him humbly and beg him for forgiveness for your sins. Come to him right now. Desperately call out to him. Says, Make me clean because you know he's willing. You know he's willing. Call out to him right now. Say, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness, Lord. Do it today. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means turn away from your leprous ways, your sinful ways, and choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what that means. And he'll make you as white as snow. He'll heal you like the leper. He'll cleanse you, and you'll be reborn in an instant. And you'll be a new creation. You'll join the family of God. And you have a whole church here that's willing to help you and to walk with you and to encourage you in your time as a Christian. 
see, being touched by Jesus Christ changes everything. Changes absolutely everything. If you want to learn more about Christ, come see me. Come see one of the pastors. Come see the people praying for you by the side of the window. We would love to talk to you more about Jesus Christ. Talk to the person that brought you or invited you. They would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. They would love to bring you to talk to one of us. I know they will. Today is Communion Sunday. How fitting. How fitting. God, by God's providence, we get to take communion together. And what is communion? Communion is an ordinance of remembrance. God has given us two ordinances, baptism and communion. Baptism is a one-time public affirmation that we are with Jesus Christ. Communion is a regular public affirmation where we come together as a church family to remember the sacrificial atonement on the cross, what took place on the cross, and to remind ourselves that Christ Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He hasn't forgotten about us. And might I add, this is the most unifying time in the life of our church where we come to the, the Lord's table on equal ground. doesn't matter if you're married or single, young or old, whatever ethnicity, if you've been a Christian for a long time or not a long time, we come to the foot of the cross on equal ground. This is the most unifying time for, for the church because we all know that we're former lepers who come to the table. Nothing else defines us but Jesus Christ. And this is where we're going to affirm here, church family. Publicly, Jesus' eternal commitment to us, that he's taking care of us, he's holding us in his arms. This is also where we publicly reaffirm our commitment to Christ, that yes, Lord, you are Lord. And also publicly, we're able to affirm to one another, I'm committed to you guys I'm committed to live a a genuine, holy life with you all at Evergreen Church. Couple instructions as we prepare, and we'll have some music to prepare our hearts for uh, to take the Lord's Supper. But out of First Corinthians 11, the Lord talks to us through First Corinthians 11 and talks to us about taking communion in a worthy manner. This is a very serious thing. Because in the early church, there are people who are taking communion in an unworthy manner. And the Lord was disciplining the church. Some people were dying. Some people were getting ill. This is a serious matter. So how do you take communion in a worthy manner? Number one, are you a genuine believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, for your guests, we welcome you to take communion in a worthy manner. As long as you're, you got it, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not sure if, that you're not in Christ, if you're in Christ, just wait. That would be a wiser thing to do. Parents, if you're not sure about your children, don't let them take communion. We, we don't want to water down the, the meaning of communion. Also, I just told you there are some warnings in 1 Corinthians of taking communion in a worthy manner in an unworthy manner. Number two, I'm talking to the Christians, the church here, we are called to take this in a genuine manner. What does that mean? Is there any sin that you're harboring right now? We're going to give you an opportunity to repent of these things before you come to the table. Is there any resentment or strife, particularly with another brother or sister in the church? Repent of that and resolve to reconcile with this brother or sister. God knows, you know, The other person probably knows. 
So what we're asking as you come to the table and get ready to receive communion is, you you don't have a perfect life with Christ, but it's a genuine life with Christ. This is what we're talking about in taking communion in a worthy manner. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give us some time, a, a moment of silence for you to do business individually with the Lord. And afterwards, I'll lead us in a prayer confession for us to repent as a church family. Okay? Let's prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this time to preach your word. Father, please bring to mind the things that you would like us to repent of. Church, do it now. Father, thank you for this time to come to you privately, but also corporately, Lord. Forgive us for not desiring your son more, for being captured by things of the world, by allowing other things to capture our heart and our minds. Forgive us for not being as compassionate as we're called to be, Lord, towards others. particularly sinners, Lord, who need to hear the gospel, particularly those who are outright throwing their sinfulness in the face of society. Help us have compassion for these, that they would come to a saving relationship through your son. Father, forgive us for our lack of obedience, just like this leper. I know we've been disobedient to you, Lord. Forgive us for our lack of obedience, I pray that we will be obedient in the area that you're calling us to be obedient to you today. Father, forgive us for not appreciating the gospel and meditating on the immense cost that took place on the cross. Forgive us, Lord, of this. Help us appreciate more and more the precious blood of Jesus Christ, your son. Help us to appreciate even from your vantage point, Father, what it was for you to punish the son on the cross. Forgive us for not understanding the cost more. Father, forgive us of our self-righteous attitude. This hypocrisy, Lord, as if we're not lepers, Lord. Forgive us of this. Father, I pr- forgive us for those that we have not stepped forward when we're called to love, when we backed off. Help us to be more loving and to step forward and be able to pay the price because this pleases you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to take communion, the Lord's Supper, in a worthy manner. I pray everyone who comes down is a genuine believer and I pray everyone who comes down would be someone who's living a genuine life before you and this local church here at Evergreen. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.